So I just thought I'd have to preface this episode here. What's up, y'all? It's your shit host, Chris Myers. And I believe it's Halloween. So in the spirit of the season, we here at the bonus hours um, wanted to offer you a little Halloween treat. A bonus hour of the bonus hours leading show between the profound and the profane. But don't expect a normal episode. Um, There's no uh, three lifelong friends. There's no friendly advice. Don't expect any making of new friends or learning something new about each other or any of the old bullshit we've been doing here for the past while. No, no. Tonight, tonight we present a campfire story. Tonight we play the role of hackneyed entertainers since the dawn of time and try to give you a little spook show. So, if you please, suspend your disbelief, sit back, and enjoy a story from the dark side of the bonus hours. That's right. It's between, between the between the, pro, the profound and the found, profound and the, and the profane. Halloween treat. This is a story about drive, passion, love, and mental illness. About how one man's once consumed himself, his nostalgia, and his friends and loved ones by mutating into monstrous forms of his past failings. The character is haunted by himself, his anger, haunts his girlfriend, his need to grow, haunted, and destroyed his friend. The desk was too small for his lanky body, but too big for the corner of the room it is crammed into. His chair, too big for the desk and too low to the ground for his legs. He's doubled over with his head in his hands, three days of apathy growing from his cheeks. 
shadowy hand brushes his hair from his face. Chris wakes up with a jolt. Alone, he squints under the burning hot bulbs of the office. A glorified spare bedroom with a few USB microphones and a pile of deserted ideas. A brief panic runs around his eyes as he searches for his phones. And with an abandoned sigh, he realizes that it is three in the morning and and Eddie wasn't going to get in touch with him. Quickly saving the files, lying open on his desk and drinking the last of the ice-cold coffee, he shuffled like the dead to the dimly lit living room. Standing in the kitchen with the broken bulb that never got replaced because everything got in the way. It dawns on him that it had been four days since Victoria had left for her mom's house. The fight still echoing off the empty ceiling and corners. Size 11 shoe print in the wall above the door. His last word as she marched down the stairs. Neglectful needs. Her voice bubbled in his mind like bile on an empty stomach. She just didn't get it. And there was no time to explain. He had a path to forge and opportunities to make. Big gambles on dumb ideas. No ideas. But maybe he shouldn't have thrown around the bitch word so liberally. That didn't give her any right to tear down his sails. He hadn't had a self-sustaining creative flow like this since before he started drinking. Creative? Must be kidding himself. She didn't have to take away his focus. Focus, focus, but, but what's a podcast anyway? Three lifelong friends? Yeah. Three assholes record themselves getting stoned and tell inside jokes about that other time they got stoned. And where are the friends? Chris isn't there when Eddie needs him. But what could he do? Time, wind, sand. A lot eroded in the sea shifts of time in the five years apart. He couldn't bring his crusty friends home like strays anymore. His relationship was stressed enough. And she's right. Where was Eddie when he had to go to psych ward? When you were getting sober. Compulsively, he checked his messages again. No word from Eddie. But he was online. Maybe now's the time. Pull the trigger and check on your friend. But no. Chris tosses his phone on the counter like he is fed up with looking at his best friend's name. There's nothing that can be done. But he'll be okay. We'll be okay. He'll figure it out and things will shift back to normal. 
standing in the bathroom, nude but for a dirty army surplus jacket, staring at the mirror. He has no idea how long he's been in there as the sun crashes through the window. In the distortion of the light, his reflection morphs, becoming a much younger version of himself. Forgetting why he'd been in the bathroom for so long, he wanders to bed. Not brushing his teeth, he lies down anyway. Chris stands about six foot even on a good day. And this afternoon, as he lie awake, was not a good day. He dragged himself past the row of pill bottles on the kitchen counter to the coffee maker. The pleasing sounds of the Keurig whirring and churring in the damp cavern. He lit a cigarette and ashed it in the sink. The smell would come out before she comes back. If she comes back this time. She owns this apartment. So where you gonna go this time, Ace? Absently stirring honey into his coffee. The office door slams open and shut quickly. Chris freezes for a moment, long enough to be killed, before shaking himself to better instincts. He grabs a knife from the block in the kitchen. Holding it to his chest, he makes his way slowly to the spare bedroom. A large hickory stick he keeps hidden behind the bookcase makes its way into his free hand as he moves through the empty office. Stepping over recording equipment, slowly towards the closet, the stench of cheap vodka assaults his senses as he gets closer. It's the kind of vodka that will burn your nose hair off if you get too close to it. He gags, musters his wish to die, and throws open the door. The smell of liquor evaporates down the hall. Turning to flip the light out and reminding himself to check Google if hallucinations and hallucinating are symptoms of three years worth of sobriety. A shoebox on the top shelf catches his eye. Placing the weapons down, Chris kneels on the ground and pops the cardboard treasure chest open. Glistening in the compact light, a handful of hard plastic toys from childhood. They still made that classic creaking noise. His and his younger brother's old Super NES. It had been too long since they last spoke. There's a stack of games for that old system. A talk boy. And the last remaining Disney VHS tapes. He had lost everything in this box. One at a time over the last 15 years. But here it all was. Stacked neatly in a box in the back of the closet. He toyed with the plastic turtle figure. Making fighting noises. Smiling for a minute. He spent some time blowing into the SNES cartridges. 
feeling the molded plastic in his hands, putting them in the console just to hear the sound. The tinkling of keys at the front door made him jump to attention, like a little boy peeking at Christmas presents as Mom makes her way up the driveway. He quickly began stacking things back in the box. The lock stuck, as it did every one out of fifteen times. He began placing the lid on the box, but his eyes lingered on that piece of Home Alone merchandise. He could see the tape through the face of the toy. There had to be something on that tape. Material for the show? It could be highly embarrassing. Everything for the podcast. He quickly grabbed the oddly shaped tape recorder and the knife in the same hand. Slicing his thumb as he dropped the 1993 Mattel artifact off on the desk small enough to be from a Fisher-Price set. Crimson blood shot everywhere. He winced a little. Back in the kitchen as Chris bandaged up his tore thumb. The apartment was still and quiet. Not even the cat was stirring in her precious little naps on the old beanbag. Victoria? He called to the empty house. Honey? Honey? Honey, you here? Picking up the old talk boy was a time travel artifice in and of itself. Just seeing the old scuff marks from when it bounced off the concrete slab next door to the little old blue house where they grew up was almost enough to set him right back in that front yard. He could almost smell the roses. As his hand ran over each strange little groove and trapped in its time aesthetic design choice of what someone thought would appeal to kids in the early 90s, opening and closing the window door, a tape still rests in the deck. On a small sticker slapped upon its face in an eight-year-old's imitation of the thirty-year-old's manic chicken-scratch scrawl, says Chris's talkboy stuff. Quickly flipping the thing over and sliding the battery compartment open, the six double-A's that still rest in it are corroded and nasty. He presses play anyway. Nothing happens. Changing out the batteries doesn't solve the issue either. Oh well. Still might be good fodder for the show. Even if it doesn't work. Nobody today? The exceedingly tall redhead said while the mics were off. It had been a few days since Chris had found the little box of treasures. Only word from his girlfriend was that she was alive and would be home when he was ready. Chris let out a long, pained sigh at the tall redhead uncomfortably fingering at the slowly fading yellow and blue swirls permanently stamped on his right arm. I mean, 
I haven't texted him and I don't have a car to pick him up and he has more important that shit going on than recording this podcast. Yeah, I know. I'd be trying to save my ass, but it's not like he was really here for this anyway. Today's been good, though. You think? A toilet flushes, and before you know it, the friendly guest is standing in the doorway. Eh, Mike's still off? He said, his smile wider than his face. A short man with broad shoulders, he jovially makes his way to the open chair. Yeah, we were just having an impromptu meeting, and uh, we'll, we'll hold off on that till we finish this episode. So, uh, what's up next? The red-haired man asked. Well, we are uh, about out of time, but I, I found this old gym from the past, and I thought we could... I thought we could talk about finding old treasures at our age. Chris said, slyly revealing his microphone voice and unveiling the silly little analog device. His friends were a little more excited than he had hoped they'd be. I'm a little disappointed. I didn't think y'all would get so hyped. Disappointed? Why? That's, that's cool to find. Does it still work? Nah, I I tried it last night, and... And when he presses play, the voice of an eight-year-old him comes out of the tiny, round speaker, singing a theme song to and then performing a one-man talk radio show. Chris is transported back in time. Sitting in a small room upstairs, his brother laying in the bottom of the toy box, and he making tapes. Small tears well up in the not-so-young man's eyes. Chris waved goodbye to his co-hosts and hustled back to the office. Something had been off about that recording. Whispers in the silence, distortion in otherwise clean audio upon playback. Broken waveform that couldn't be deleted or fixed. Don't turn around. He heard it. Clear as day. Don't look. Chris quickly whipped his head behind him. Remembering, as the thud rang white across his skull, that his desk was backed against a wall. And through the buzzing haze, a form lurched from the slowly opening door. Chris was dazed, but he could recognize that queer gate anywhere. Walking into the room in a way unique to him, a mirror copy of himself. Chris attempted to leap up throwing his chair against the wall as the copy made its way towards him its jaw flopped up and down and back and forth a deep empty whistling breath constantly passing through its thin bouncing silly putty lips don't look back where it help 
the copy grew steadily younger with its arms outreached, outstretched, and then it began melting like a novelty candle on the eye of an electric stove. Each thin, goopy finger grew a bulbous, lidless eye, the palms of the hands open wide and sharp like leech mouths, its face a bubbling, featureless mess as it closed both hands around Chris's ears. We'll take care of everything. The leech-faced hands let out a long screech that collapses into a familiar click, followed by that unmistakable voice of his eight-year-old self. Spikes or quills or stinger slides out of the round mouth on each hand, a sickening followed by blackness drowns everything out. Chris woke up on a thinly carpeted floor, his mouth tasting of nine volt batteries and copper. The room was spinning. He leaned he leaned against the bunk bed just to fall forward and vomit. Looking around the tiny sized bedroom with its miniature dresser and little window seat. Chris immediately recognized the bedroom as the one he and his younger brother once shared. And there in the doorway, holding that dumb tape recorder, was a tiny Chris. Hi. Hey, Chris said up to his younger self. You threw up. Yeah. A lot. Yeah, I, I know. Like, a lot, a lot. You probably shouldn't be talking to me. Why not? Didn't Mom ever tell you not to talk to strange men that appear in your bedroom and violently vomit all over the place? Not specifically! I'm not here. This isn't happening. I'm not here. This isn't happening. Huh? It's a reference you'll get when you're older. I should get out of here, though. Uh, before your mom comes home. Where is she? Anyway. Where is everyone? They leave you home alone already? At your age? I'm in the third grade. And I don't know. I woke up and everyone was gone. This is a dream, he thought. There is no other explanation, so let's just hang out with the kid till this all solves itself. His ears were still bleeding. For being a dream, it was vividly detailed. Things were more in place than he could remember. It was better than a memory. It was like he was standing on the upstairs landing, looking down on a place he knew he'd never see again. It smelled like sugar cookies and cinnamon, a bowl of potpourri in every room.
was so much smaller than he remembered. The wrought iron bars that kept his tiny, monkey-climbing kid self from tumbling off the open upstairs hallway and into the entrance hall down below. No wonder Mom always panicked about him hanging on them. They're so small and weak. And the smooth banisters that led downstairs, third from the top and the first landing step at the corner, they both creak in the middle. And there's the spot in the wall that they had to fix when one of the neighborhood kids broke the wall and chipped a tooth playing Niagara Falls in a clothes hamper down the stairs. Chris stood at the base of the steps, taking it all in. The white of the walls, the old glass top dining room table with the wicker chairs where he learned to use a typewriter. the same tape until the other voice came in on a wind of crunching static welcome home boy we hope you like what I've done with the place as the house itself began to twist like rolled play-doh the walls oozing a blackish red a deep rumble growing from all sides. Fear began to kick in as the nightmare felt too real, the low light fixture hanging above the glass-top dining room table. From the highest ceiling on a normal chain, now a mini-bulbed alien flower, which hissed and stunk of rotted meat. A long black thorned vine held it to the rippling flesh mass that was once the ceiling, and it was breathing. The entirety of the house was breathing. The kid tried valiantly to hold it all back, but tears started to silently rain down his confused and frightened face. He stammered for words but found nothing for his own meek voice. A rushing of water came from where the kitchen should be. Out of the ceiling poured a sizzling yellow-green liquid as it hit the remains of the fridge that hadn't been assimilated into the bleeding walls of the stomach. The appliance corrodes and falls apart. The kitchen is filling up fast. You might want to hurry. It takes a while to digest, but it is ever so painful. There is no exit out the back door. As the stomach acids build at the front entrance hall, the table that held the old family pictures quickly collapsing as its front leg is chewed through. Chris grabs the kid by the hand and heads for the bathroom, where a brick wall meets him. 
and the voice on the recorder just laughs. A soft spot in the dripping walls of the thing reveals a hole, forcing himself through the flesh. They fall a good ten feet onto a cold stone floor. In total darkness. Look who we have here. Illuminated by nothing. Illuminated by nothing, a man of about 35 with the head of a wolf steps out in a dusty army surplus jacket. From behind him came a rail-thin teenager, pimples and braces, and Chris would recognize that scarecrow. It was him when he was a 16-year-old shitheel. His long, curly brown hair thick in front of his face. The teenager with the clickety-clack frame moved on elbows and knees to the edge of a lifted platform. And this is the part where I, as a storyteller, run into a problem. We are dealing with a haunted house of fifth-dimensional nostalgia-tinged horror, with strange, eldritch copies of the main character threatened to devour everything he cares for. In the center of the room, bathed in a light that comes from nowhere, his tall, red-haired co-host and their friendly guest from the episode they recorded earlier in the day. The replicant of Chris's teenaged self lurches toward the edge of the platform. It peels the skin from its left forearm. Blood and pus and oozing, pulsing meat. Reveals a loose-hanging bone. The replicant wrenches the loose bone from its dangling meat hook of a limb and hurls the sharpened bit of itself at the captured co-hosts. It misses, landing close and piercing the floor. Another bone knife grows in its place, and when it soars, it lands in the shoulder of the red-headed co-host, who howls in pain. The replicant breaks its own arms and legs backwards and lands on all fours in a panther stance, his long, greasy hair dangling in large, thick ringlets about his face, large, jagged vertebrae protrude from the creature's hairless back, its roar is disheartening its mouth opens too wide like a snake its jaw unhinges and it leaps forward strings of drool dripping from a toothless gaping maw he will devour someone choose an almost familiar voice calls from everywhere we are here to rip your life to shreds the Sanasifal says, 
devouring his memories first. What they want is his present. They threaten him. Ultimatum. The child or your co-hosts. His indecisiveness allows all three to be eaten by the Eldritch Bonespur cat version of his teenage self. Thin red vines like frog's tongue slither like electric snakes from its hind quarter, stretching forward to eat all three. And Chris is left alone in the darkness. The form of the monstrous house falls away, and he is left alone, bleeding and crying in the darkness. When he wakes up, he has no memory of himself. He has no memory of how he came to where he is. He has no memory of where this is. Floating in eternal darkness, his body comes to what could be called a slowdown and stop. A squared gate of light flashes open in the ink. The light sounds of static. A high-pitched whine emanates and reverberates around the black sphere void he's trapped within. The light flashes to scenes of him and Eddie doing nothing. A lot of nothing. Sometimes they're trying to do the podcast, but it always devolves into nothing. It flashes again, backward through time. Laughter. Drinking. Eddie trying his hardest to relate to everyone by being unbelievably, obnoxiously depressing. A late night Thanksgiving barbecue with sake and ties around the head. An insistence on being everywhere together. The darkness around Chris springs to life, swirling and moving as he is drawn deeper into the flickering box. Between the few parties, shared laughs, there's a lot of killing of joy. A lot of arguments, a lot of drugs, a few pill-fueled slaps to the face, thrown punches, tears, yelling. Forcefully shared depression and toxicity. The wind flashes to a typical bedroom of a young teen. Unkempt bed, spotless computer area. Stacks of notebooks falling over each other in the background. Piles of deserted ideas. Just in front of him. Himself as a teenager. And the boy who would become the man he had a falling out with just earlier this week. Good old Eddie. Eddie and the younger Chris hold oddly shaped video game controllers, garish purple and orange, as they come into focus just as, just a bit more. The, the, the controllers drop with their faces. 
first in a bit of upset dismay, followed by a smack to the TV and a quick hit of the reset button on the console. The GameCube load sound plays. What the fuck? He could barely hear himself say from the other side of time. Chris tries knocking on the screen, and the teens are taken aback. They go back and forth as a shadow looms in the window behind the boys. Chris throws himself against the lighted square. He bounces off it and into the darkness as the shadow comes crashing through the window. At the feet of the teen boys lies the broken body of a once beautiful golden retriever his flowing feathery fur covered and caked in mud, blood, and shards of glass, his snout open in an infinite howl of horror. Is... Fuck, dude, is... Is that my dog? The teen Chris cries. The dead lump of hound meat leaps up on its mangled legs howling in immense and growing, unimaginable pains. His upper quarter wriggling and bulging like a great worm is trapped beneath the skin. The teens lean in close. The pup's eye is slowly pushed out of the socket by a vine, heavy and black as the deep sea, with large bright crimson thorns running down it. The vine seems to acknowledge the teenager's disgust of it before snaking its way across the bridge of the dog's nose and through its remaining eyeball. As if it can't take that last bit of pressure, the top half of the dog explodes into a mass of thorned, writhing, vines thick as tree branches and twisting around each other in a sick dance the heads of the two vines reach up and tear the fan out of the ceiling destroying the last of the light save for the street lamp across the way the bramble hound snarled and barked like falling trees in a thunderstorm as the vines wrapped themselves around the teen boys' necks like boa constrictors and once again wrapped themselves around each other as if the heads of each of the two vines were there to choke the life out of one another and the boys were just caught up in the whole ordeal. The face of the old CRT television pops, and our failed hero falls face first onto the floor, directly across from the TV. In the window stands the wolf-headed man with the army surplus jacket, the right sleeve rolled up just enough to reveal an undeniable tattoo. The yellow and blues no longer garish, but faded to a dull, clouded milk hue. 
standing with him, holding a sledgehammer in one hand and a liter of rum in the other, his purple mohawk screaming in the broken strips of light. That leaning walk and strong cock swagger only came from a twenty-year-old douchebag we hadn't been in a long time. Chris leapt forward, stomping on the bramble hound's head. And the wolf in Chris' clothing produced a small revolver and fires one shot into our hero's shin, killing the hound in the process. Chris falls to the ground, blood squirts across the mirror dresser, eclipsing old pictures from the teen's life before puberty. And the 21 that is more mohawk than man steps casually into the room, pouring rum indiscriminately near his open mouth, nonchalantly hitting different objects with the hammer at varying degrees of strength, like a child gleefully testing the limits of a new toy. He pours his rum onto the stacks of notebooks. A vivid dream, huh? The voice from everywhere says out of the wolf's mouth. Come on, Chris. You said everything. You want to be more than you are. Then I will have to take everything to do so. Chris's sight goes white with shock and pain. The mohawk on the thug 21-year-old is rippling, growing, overflowing into a mossy fungus. Its eyes sink into tiny pricks of white light at the end of immensely deep black tunnels. Its lips retreat into its gums to reveal a 52-pack of razors drenched in flesh, mucus, and finely dusted with cocaine. Shoved haphazardly in diagonals and upside-down zigzags where teeth should have grown. It exhales. It never stops exhaling. A fleshy, bony, meaty hammer where his hand should be is raised above its sloping skull. Hey boys, I know this is terrifying, but that pathetic meat sack over there? He sells out your relationship for literally nothing after 15 years. He deserts you, Eddie. He thinks he's too good for you. He thinks he's too good for the both of you. He abdicates his duties as your friend. But you can stop him before he gets the chance to. And the wolf in Chris' clothing drops the revolver to the teen's feet, adding, or you can find out what our mutual friend with the hammer has to say. It never stops exhaling. Eddie immediately picks up the gun. Whoa, dude, that, that's like, that's like me or something. No, it isn't. Dude, look at him. Uh, I, I, I know you good. I know you good, man. We've been friends for what? All of freshman and most of sophomore year? 
I'd know you if you were climbing through the TV. And fuck this guy. And then he puts the revolver to Chris's head. He's a loser, Chris. Eddie freezes. He's a loser, and you'll be a loser too. And you're alright, and that's alright. For a little while. But you get really sick of it. A lot faster than you ever thought you did. And you don't know how to handle it. And he never gets better. And he never thinks it gets better than right now. The highlight of his and your friendship is playing GameCube at 15. And Chris grabs the gun, pushing it away from himself, cracking his own skull against Eddie's bad knee. And as his best friend of over half his life goes tumbling to his back, Chris raises the revolver to the wolf It's empty. To the razor-faced monster, click. Of course, it's fucking empty. Razorface leaps onto the fallen Eddie, sliding his awful smile across the screaming boy's neck and chest. And Teen Chris throws up all over himself as the screams of his friend echo in the bedroom. Chris puts the gun to his oldest friend's head and pulls the trigger. As the sounds of gunshot and death gurgles resonate into one and everything becomes still, Chris turns the gun on the weeping, shocked teen version of himself, killing him in one shot. Now what, asshole? I released them from this game. You aren't tainting this, and neither are we. They get to take to the skies, shroud themselves in the cosmos, forever youthful and forever friends. So what's your gain here? You're gonna kill me? Then what? No, 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 no killing you. Transform a metamorphosis through sacrifice and realization. The entire fabric of the universe begins to quake and the walls come tumbling down. Three of them stand in his old apartment, the one his girlfriend moved into with him. Not the one they currently have together, the old apartment where they used to live. Razorface, Bonecat, and the wolf and on the ground in between the three of them on her knees and chained around the neck, an emaciated, slightly bruised and scared girlfriend. The wolf hands Chris the end of the chain. And that's when it dawns on him. It wasn't that he couldn't be himself, it wasn't that he couldn't chase what he wanted, it wasn't that he was an awful, abusive, human being with the worst possible temper and a way of using his clever words to run people down and ruin them. 
No, Chris knew in that instant that he absorbed people into his personal fires and storm, and anyone who joined him would be harmed throughout, in God knows what sort of way, though people choose to be in this storm. He is so selfish, he never chooses to just let them watch without being consumed by it. No. This ends here. And Chris turned the last bullet on himself. The monsters fell apart. His girlfriend returned home the very next morning. The body was still warm. And though the coroner couldn't find a gun in the house, neither of the couple owned a gun, much less a revolver. Most strange, there wasn't an entrance wound on his body, and in fact, it seemed, as odd as it sounds, as if the bullet was fired from inside the head and exited the wall behind his computer chair. Despite all this, his girlfriend was charged with the murder. Like I stole. 